0: No. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. The very last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples before ascending into the heavens, according to Luke, the 24th chapter, are these words. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures, and he told them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Oh lord would you open our minds so that we could understand the scriptures lord you came with power and died on calvary and after your resurrection you explained the gospel to the apostles and you opened their minds so they could understand would you come now and open our minds that we also could understand the Word of God? Lord, you said that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be preached in your name. Lord, I come preaching repentance and forgiveness of sin today. I pray now for the power you promised. I pray for the power from on high. Lord, these men were converted. They were already sealed in the Holy Spirit, but they had not yet experienced the coming of the power for the gospel proclamation. And today, Jesus, we have grieved your spirit so badly that we've lost all the power. I'm asking, Lord, during this broadcast today, Would you quicken the word you give me to speak that it would have the dynamite from on high? Lord, thank you. I pray in your name. Amen. In the scripture, in Luke 24, verse 47, it says, Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name. Forgiveness is affamy, that is, Repentance and the removal of sin. The Lord wants to remove the sin from your life. That's why the first word of the gospel is repent. Because sin cannot be removed from your life without very serious, honest repentance. Now John the Baptist gives us a clue that we need to grab a hold of. It's found in Matthew, the third chapter. This is what he says. You brood of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. He's not speaking parabolically here. He is literally describing what is going to happen In your life, you have a choice. It's a very painful choice. It's a choice to recognize that the axe is at the root of your life. Now, what's so significant about this for me is that it does not say the axe is already at the branches of the tree. You see, when we look at this issue of sin and repentance, we have to look in two very clear places. One, we have to look at the fruit, and that could be fornication, pornography, cursing. It's the fruit of our hearts. But fruit comes out of the root And John the Baptist is saying, look, the axe is at the root of your tree. In other words, the very root has to be dealt with, not just the fruit. We can cry over outward sin, and rightly so. We can weep before God or before brothers and sisters when we have hurt them. But that's only the fruit. You see, if the root is not removed, it will continue to produce its fruit in your life. And at some point, God is going to say, go ahead and take that tree down. He's not serious. I know people like this. They're not really serious about Jesus and about their life. Oh, they say they are. But the fruit I see being born in their life is anger and bitterness, judgments, gossip. Going to talk with someone else. Do you know what this person said to me? Do you know what pastor said on the radio? I'm not going to listen to him anymore. You shouldn't either. Oh, well, let's not listen anymore. Gossip. Gossip. That's all the fruit of something that's going on in the root. And it's the root of unbelief. It's the root of pride, of arrogance. It's the root of hardening our heart against the word of God. This this has to be dealt with. It's not enough to cut off the branch and say, okay. I repented for my fornication. I repented for my bitterness. I repented for my breaking out in anger and speaking words that were harsh. I repent of that. Oh, but you'll do it again. And some of you have gone back time after time after time. You have repeated your sin time after time, and you you just cry crocodile tears. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. It'll continue until you let the Holy Spirit come and deal with the root of your life. The roots of your life. Now I want you to hear clearly. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Do you know how they winnowed the grain? They would have a fork where they would throw it against the wall, or they would trample on it. And when the grain began to be separated from the husk, they would throw the grain up in the air and the wind would come and blow the husk away well he's saying look that's what jesus wants to do in the life of the people who choose to follow him he wants to he wants to break the hard edged husk off their lives he wants to remove the bitterness He wants to remove the rebellion. It's not going to be a pleasant task. It is going to be painful for the person who undergoes it. Jesus has tossed me in the air so many times. I feel like I'm being tossed in the air again with this move that I'm packing up for. I'm almost packed. But the Lord was very kind to me yesterday. He said to me, I know it's a major inconvenience to move, but if you'll, if you'll take a hold of that with a good spirit, I will richly bless you. I said, Lord, I'm not upset at all that I have to move. Wherever you want to throw me is wonderful. Just get off all of the husk. Get me totally clean and washed, ready to go into your barn. I don't want any hard edges. I don't want any rebellion. I don't want any bitterness or anger. I don't want any unbelief in my heart. I want to be humble before God. The chaff is burned with unquenchable fire. Now I've been praying about this I knew I needed to speak with you about this today I asked the Lord for what he wanted me to say and then he gave me what he wanted me to say and I became physically sick to my stomach it's not something I want to say to you I don't don't come on these broadcasts to in any way entertain you I don't try to keep your attention. Either you care enough about your life and either you care enough about getting clean with God or you won't be interested in this message. You'll click off and go somewhere else. You'll go to some form of entertainment, some happy, happy, clang, clang music. No, I want to speak straight to you. I'm going to give you a very honest word. I want you to hear it. It may be the salvation of your life. All week I've been speaking about kings. The Holy Spirit directed me again today to speak about one of the most magnificent kings found in Scripture. A man after God's own heart. I want to show you today why he's a man after God's own heart. He sinned grievously against the Lord God of heaven. In the most ugly way a man can sin against God. After he sinned with Bathsheba. And after he murdered Uriah the Hittite, who was one of his most loyal followers. After he took this lamb for himself and murdered Uriah. Month after month, he did not repent. But his soul was sick within him. He knew he was wrong. How could he deal with it? If he confessed it, he could easily be removed from the kingship. He could lose everything. But God was not happy. Chapter 12 of Second Samuel. I'll begin reading with verse 7. Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all of this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and you took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. David responds to this very straight rebuke, not as Asa did and imprisoned the prophet. Instead he says, and this is why he's a man after God's own heart. His sin is utterly exposed. Chapter twelve, Second Samuel. Verse 13 Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this you've made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. And after Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had borne to David. He became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and went to his house and spent nights lying on the ground. The elders of the household stood beside him, trying to get him up from the ground, but he refused and he would not eat any food with them. And on the seventh day, the child died the child died he then got up he got up and he went to the temple of the lord and he worshiped the lord god of heaven makes my sick my stomach sick This sin, so secret, but not secret, totally exposed. And now he knows that God was watching. My brother, my sister, God is watching you. God is watching everything you do. If you're casual before God, he sees that. If you're arrogant, if you're proud, if you're gossiping, He sees that. If you rise up in rebellion and arrogance, God sees that. Psalm 51. David wrote, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Literally, in the Hebrew, that have mercy on me, O oh God, is affection, which is expressed by moaning over someone. He's saying, O oh God, would you come and moan over my wickedness? Would you come and moan over me? for I have done something so evil before you. Would you come in your mercy, not in judgment? Don't kill me, O God. I deserve to die. But would you come and moan over me? Would you share the pain of my anguish over what I've done to you? According to your Unfailing love. In other words, would you do something about this? Would you take action? Would you moan over me, God? And would you do something for me? My sin is before me. I can't get through this sin, O God. Would you do something for me, O God? According to your great compassion, that is, your great compassion says you'll do whatever you have to do. There's no cost too great to do something for me, O oh God. I know you are a God of compassion. Would you come now and blot out my transgressions? Would you do something for me, God? God. Do you need God to do something for you today? Is there such pain and anguish in your heart? Do you know the sin you've committed against God and you've suffered year after year under that sin? We serve a God of great compassion and he will do something. He will come and and moan over us. He will wash us and cleanse us, but let me show you how he'll do that. Verse 2, wash away all of my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Literally in the Hebrew, put me in a tub of water and get in that tub with the soap with your feet and stomp on me and, and step on me until I'm clean. And then Bring me out of that tub and make me bright and holy and clean. Make me innocent before you, O God. Only God can do that, my brother, my sister. Some of you have been carrying a burden of sin for many years. It's time to deal with it. Some of you have held grudges against your father or your mother. Some of you have held grudges against a brother or sister, and you haven't spoken to them for a long time. Now, they may not want to speak with you. But for your part, you've got to go to God and ask him to moan over you. This is not self-help. This is coming to God. God. It's God who saw your sin. It's God who recorded it in the book. Now you need to come to him and ask him, Oh God, would you come and moan over me? Would you come and put me in that tub of water, of hot water? Will you pour in the soap? Will you get in that tub with your feet and stomp on me? until I am totally clean. Now, you guessed it, this is not a pleasant process. But God is cleansing us. And as we weep over our sin, we ask him to get to the root of it, and we ask him to cut that root out of our heart. Now, some of you... Keep going back to the same sin, and you don't have any victory because you refuse to let God put you in the tub and stomp on you. You refuse to humble your heart and hate your sin. A man came to me a number of years ago, and he said to me, Pastor, I'm smoking three packs of cigarettes a day, and I have emphysema. I need to stop smoking. Will you pray? I've tried and I can't stop smoking. Will you pray? So I laid hands on him and bowed my head. And I prayed for victory over his smoking. The next Sunday when I saw him, I said, brother, do you have the victory over your cigarettes? He said, no, it's just the same. I guess I'm hopeless. I said, no, my brother, you're not hopeless. You're rebellious. What do you mean, pastor? You're stubborn and you're rebellious. You love your sin. Would you this week go home and ask God to make you hate your sin? That's a miracle that he will do for you. And so I prayed over him again. And this time I prayed, Lord, will you make this man sick every time he picks up a cigarette? He came back the next week. I said, how'd it go this week? He said, Pastor, I've been sick all week. Every time I picked up a cigarette, I got sick. I tried many times. You've stolen from me my love for cigarettes. I said, no, I haven't. Jesus did. You ask me to pray that. I prayed it and he did it. You can't overcome sin that you love. Because you just hate the fruit. You've got to hate the root. And you've got to ask God to apply his axe to that root and cut it out of you. And you're going to have to go before God. And you're going to have to ask God to moan over you. And to take whatever action is necessary to change your heart. You're going to have to become conscious of the root of the sin in your heart and admit that it's pride. You're going to have to admit that you're stubborn. You're going to have to admit that you love your sin. And then God will put you in that tub and he'll stomp on you. How does he do that? He brings to our heart remembrance of our wickedness. Like the prodigal son who was feeding the pigs, he came to an end of himself and he said, why am I sitting here starving? I can get up and go to my father. I don't deserve to be in his household, but I can go and be a servant because the servants aren't starving to death. I'll go and ask my father if I could just come back and be a servant. You've got to come to your senses, and you've got to ask God to do whatever he has to do in your life to bring you to your senses, and he may have to bring you into starvation. You have to ask him to do whatever he has to do. Jesus said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Jesus only knew one way to deal with sin, and it was not self-help. It was not a long process. It was amputation. Amputation means the axe is at the root, and the root has been taken out, and you're set free. He says, for I know, verse 3, I know my transgressions. That is, I acknowledge I am guilty. No one made me do it. No one made me go out on that rooftop and look down and see that beautiful woman taking a cleansing bath. And nobody made me send for her. And nobody made me go to bed with her. I did it. I chose it. And nobody made me kill Uriah the Hittite, I chose to protect myself. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. There's a parable that I have treasured through the years, not from Scripture, but I don't know where it came from. A man by the name of Jaime was cast into prison. He was in solitary confinement. Once a day, the prison guard would come and slide his meal on the floor on a tray through a trapdoor. This went on day after day. And he, Jaime would run to the door and he'd scream and shout and say, I'm innocent! I'm innocent! Why am I imprisoned? I'm innocent! I want my attorney. The jailer would laugh and walk away. After Jaime had been there many, many months, he looked up one morning. There was one small window very high up, and through it he saw the blue sky, and he saw one tree just apart, and it had green leaves. And suddenly on Jaime, the, the crushing truth came upon him that he was imprisoned and nobody cared. And he was all alone. And he could not deliver himself. And no one was going to come and rescue him. And the seasons were passing while everyone else was out living their lives. He was in prison. And finally, he broke. And he whispered very quietly, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. As the realization dawned on him of what he had done and who he was, And the kind of man he was, he said, I'm guilty. That evening when the guard came, slid his meal, he ran to the door. And this time, instead of yelling and screaming his innocence, he said, jailer. I'm guilty. I deserve to be here in this prison cell. I am guilty. He went back and lay down on his thin mattress on his bunk, on a concrete slab. He didn't bother to eat, he just lay there weeping knowing that he was imprisoned because he was guilty, that he deserved the prison he was in. And as he looked, there was something different about the door. He went to the door, and he pulled on it, and the door swung open. He looked out in the hall. There was nobody there. There was a door at the end of the hall. He walked down the hall, He tested the door and it opened. And he stepped out into a fresh, wonderful summer evening. I mean, he was free. I love that parable because it so typifies the prison a sinner is in and doesn't even know it. And he's guilty and we have so many things we have the television we have the entertainment we have a smorgasbord of activities we have every food you could desire we have relationships and friendships and and even churches that say you're loved and you can walk in your sin you can stay in your prison and you're still loved and Jesus has saved you every lie to not allow you to recognize the desperate situation of your life, that if you don't repent and leave your sin, the axe is at the root of your life, and you will be cut down and thrown into the fire if you don't repent. He said, I know my transgression. My sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned. Sin is very personal with God. God takes sin very seriously. And sin is an action. It's something we do. I'm not dealing in any mysticism. Sin is something we do by our choice against the Almighty God. Sin is volitional. It is voluntary. That's why I ask people, do you have any any known issues between you and your Lord? Oh, yes, I'm, I'm working on some things. Well, good luck. You'll never get over those things, and you'll be cast into hell for them. There's only one way to deal with those issues, and that is by cutting them off. By crying aloud to the Lord and asking him to come and moan over you. asking Jesus to come and heal you. You have to be made clean. You have to acknowledge that you have done something evil in the sight of God. You have to admit that God is right and that he is justified when he judges you and you deserve to be cast into hell. There's no room for pride in repentance. There's no room for pride and judgments against a brother or sister. Love covers over many, many faults. First Peter tells us Love with your whole heart. Show hospitality. Show hospitality. love he says surely I was sinful at birth sinful from the time my mother conceived me in other words I was twisted I was distorted I was bent when I was born don't try to tell me that babies are innocent they haven't done anything yet but it the seed of sin is in them because they are direct descendants of Adam and Eve And now they have to be born from above. They have to be moved from that position of wickedness into the kingdom of light. They have to have a supernatural work of cleansing and purging and purifying. They have to have a supernatural work in their hearts or they will be lost. They are bent, twisted, distorted. He says in verse six, surely you desire truth in the inner parts that is on the on the inside that nobody else sees you have to want the truth. Do you want the truth about yourself? Have you admitted you're bent and twisted and distorted?" and that only a supernatural work of God can restore you to Christ and his likeness, that you must be born from above, it's not religion that saves you, my brother, my sister. Can I be honest? I don't like religion. I'm not a religionist. I love Jesus. And I follow Jesus. And Jesus has given me a new birth by the Spirit. And he's transformed me into his likeness. And I rejoice in this. The Lord is so kind. He's so merciful. Oh! Do I still make mistakes? Yes, I'm still immature. And probably for the first million years of heaven, I'm going to make mistakes. But mistakes are not sin, according to John Wesley and according to the scripture. Sin involves a voluntary rebellion against Almighty God. But we're twisted and bent, and we have to have that new birth. Now, every one of you listening knows this, but I need to say it to you. Please, humor me. There is no salvation outside of Jesus Christ. There is no salvation in human effort. There is no salvation in trying hard. There is no salvation outside of Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So I'm not a mystic. I don't try by self surrender to find God. I don't try through meditation to find God. I meditate because I found him and I'm in his presence and I meditate on Jesus. I don't always examine my belly button. This is not about self-examination. The Holy Spirit will do the exam and he will uncover the sin and the brokenness and he will confront you and he will say, this needs to go. Will you let me take it? Yes, Lord, take it. Yes, Lord, take it. Surely I was bent and twisted and distorted at birth. Bent and twisted and distorted from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop. And I will be clean. Use the hyssop, Jesus, to apply your precious blood to my life. And I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Those bones are crushed when you're in that tub of water, and Jesus is stepping all over you. Hide your face from my sins. Blood out my iniquity. Now, verses 10, 11, and 12. I heard my dad pray every day. We gathered in the morning and in the evening, for family worship. My father would pray, then my mother would pray, then my eldest brother, the middle brother, and then little Ray would pray last. But Dad always included this in his prayer, and I'm going to share it with you. This is Psalm 51, verse 10, 11, and 12. Create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. That was Dad's prayer. Every time he prayed with a family, he prayed, Created me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. You see, this is not a human work. This is a miraculous gift of God. If we will humble our hearts before him and we will repent and admit our guilt, Admit our wickedness. We will have restored to us the joy of our salvation. Peace will rule in our hearts. Joy will be explosive in our spirits. And then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. So many times I've been in worship with people where the worship leader has to try to convince the people to sing, or I've been in a place where we've called for prayer and we sit in silence. Why? Because there's sin in the heart and they haven't dealt with it, and they don't have the joy of the Lord yet in their spirit because... They don't have a willing spirit to sustain them. They've not been cleansed of their sin. They're hiding. The only reason people are shy of praying is because they have sinned. Sometimes it's pride. Sometimes it's just plain stubbornness. Sometimes it's shyness, but shyness is just pride with another name. When we come into the presence of God, after we've been transformed into his likeness, there should be an explosion of joy and celebration and testimony and sharing. This is what God has done. I honor the name of Jesus. If we're ashamed of Jesus before a prayer group, he'll be ashamed of us before the angels and before Father. I'm so so explosively joyous in Jesus. O oh Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice where I would bring to you. You do not take pleasure in burn offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. That's my cry for you today. This sin in my heart when it's been there, and this sin when I see it in brothers and sisters, literally makes me sick. I get a sick feeling in my stomach. I want to vomit. when I see bent and twisted and distorted people who have no intention Of asking God to moan over them. They're too filled with pride, hardness, arrogance. I'm about my business. I've got my goals. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm I'm doing what I'm supposed to do to get ahead in life. Foolish man. Foolish woman. We teach our kids this. Makes me sick to my stomach. I want to vomit. Jesus. I want Jesus. Well, we're out of time for today. Tomorrow is going to be a day of prayer. I'm eager to have you join us tomorrow. We're going to cry aloud to the Lord. We're going to ask Him to moan over us and over the church. We're going to ask God to expose the corruption. So join me tomorrow on Pilgrim's Progress for a day of prayer. Be bold. Take the mask off your face. Take the hand of the devil off your mouth. And cry out. If you can rejoice in Jesus because you've been washed clean, great. Rejoice. Or rejoice. Come with me and cry aloud for the church, for America. Please, I need to hear from you. December has started. The radio bill for November is now paid. Thank you to the many of you who chose to step forward. Pam, thank you. You just sent a gift. Thank you. That was a direct answer to my prayer yesterday. I was crying aloud to the Lord and saying, Lord, Will you send someone today who will give? And you did. Thank you. And thank you to everyone else. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. That's Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. The zip code is 22195. You can also go to our webpage, as many of you have done. Ellen, thank you. Each one who's gone, thank you. Go to nationalprayerchapel.com and click on the button in the upper right hand corner. And you can give online. You'll also find many different podcasts and videos. Would you subscribe if you're on YouTube? I'm eager to see us reach 500 subscribers because that means our messages will go out much further because of Google. My brother, my sister, I love you. I pray this message has helped you. I'll talk to you soon.